0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Well, welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. This is um, good morning. It's the morning, is 22nd. Today's the 22nd because yesterday was St. Matthew, the 21st. today is the 22nd of September. And I know I'm sorry Terry's not in the studio with me today, but um, we have a joyful, um, joyful duty of helping with our grandchildren. And it is such a joy. So we want to pray and we want to ask the Holy Spirit for light and we want to glorify God for the works that he has done. It is noon. So we pray the angelus to glorify God for the incarnation. The Son of God really became man and lived among us, let us never forget, and he still dwells among us in the Holy Eucharist. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit, Hail Mary full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts. That we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth, O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful. Grant that in the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaot, plenis un terra gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis, benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Yes, we do ask the angels to join us here. Our angels were given to us by God to give us light, to enlighten us, and to help us to understand God's holy word. So, we want to talk about the pillar and foundation of truth, and what may that be? Well, this week in the daily readings at Mass, when there wasn't a feast day, because there were some feast days and there were some beautiful readings too, uh. We were, reading, we're reading from the first letter of Paul to Timothy. Now, Timothy was a bishop. He was ordained by Paul. Um, Paul talks about it in his letter where he says, you know, where you received the gift by the imposition of my hands. So we have here in Timothy 3, um, and that's where I'm starting is, is Wednesday's reading, actually. It says, Beloved, I am writing to you. Although I hope to visit you soon... But if I should be delayed, you should know how to behave in the household of God, Be how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. The household of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Undeniably great is the mystery of devotion. Who was made manifest in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed to the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. So the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul says the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Well how can this be? What 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 is he talking about? Well remember in Matthew Jesus tells Peter, you are rock and on this rock I will build my church and the jaws of hell the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And let's see if I can find that real quick. Is that Matthew 16? Um So Jesus said he would found a church. Okay? And there are several places in the gospel where this comes up. Well, the first verse I have here is Matthew 10, 4, 1 through 4. So let me see what Matthew 10, 1 through 4 says. This may not be the exact verse I'm looking through, for, but uh, Matthew 10. No, this is, this is where Peter is named. In all of the lists of the apostles, by the way, Peter's name is always first. Peter's name is always first. Not that he had his primacy or a special place, right? No, he did always. He had... Um, um let's see. He's called Cephas, he's called the rock. Matthew, it is Matthew 16, 18 and 19. So we're gonna look at Matthew 16, 18 and 19. Um, and no, I don't have everything memorized. I love I love it in the New Testament when um when Paul, I believe it's Paul, he says <laughs> somewhere in scripture it says (laughs) and he leaves us to find the verse not only the verse but the book and the chapter so um and what is it jesus says he says um he asks he says who do you say that i am who do men say the son of man is and they're giving all kinds of answers and finally he turns to the apostles and he said well who do you say that i am and Peter is the one who speaks up. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers him, blessed are you, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And we talked about ecclesia, the word there that's translated in English church. We talked about that last week, and that the fact that that word, when it occurs in the New Testament, is almost always translated church. Yes, Jesus really intended to found his church. As a matter of fact, he said, I will found my church. So then, and then we have Paul telling us that. The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. So what do we make of all this? Well, the pillar and bulwark, the terms refer to the structure, to structure, support, excuse me, the terms refer to structural support that holds up a building. The church is set in place to support the edifice of the gospel of truth. So the gospel was preached by Jesus. He tells the good news, but how is it going to be guaranteed that it's passed on faithfully? How is he going to guarantee this? Well, he sets up the church and he set up the apostles with Peter as the head of the apostles to make sure that they were to safeguard the truths that he preached. Not that they were supposed to make up something new or come up with their own ideas, they're supposed to safeguard his. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promised, he said, remember at the last supper, he tells his apostles, the spirit will remind you of everything that I told you. He tells them, he says, I have to go. They're sad. He's at the last supper and they're, they're sad. He said, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave. But I have to leave because if I don't leave, the paraclete won't come. But when he comes, he's going to remind you of everything that I told you. So the spirit makes this possible by enabling the successors of the apostles to pursue, Preserve the apostolic faith from corruption and distortion as the centuries pass. This is the role of the church, the hierarchy of the church, to preserve, to preserve the apostolic faith from corruption and distortion as the centuries pass. Not to come up with a new church, not to come up with a new idea, not to come up with new dogma. There can be no new dogma. Yes, there's development of dogma. We can come to a deeper understanding, but a deeper understanding never contradicts or does away with the past understanding. We're always rooted in the past. It's kind of like we as human beings. Does anyone out there, do any of us think we're not rooted in the past? Bishop Sheen had something to tell us. If you think you're not rooted in the past, check tonight and see if you have a belly button you are rooted in the past. You didn't make yourself. God made you and your parents cooperated in that action and you depended on them. And, and so it goes and we're dependent on the past generations for life, for the greatest gift that we have in terms of in a natural order, the gift of life. In the supernatural order, we have grace, which is far greater, but we can't have grace if we don't have life. We have to have life first. So God gives us life and we are connected to the past. And so is the church. The church is connected to the past. It didn't just suddenly appear, uh, you know, 400 years after Christ died on the cross. It was there from the beginning. The church is the pillar and bulwark of faith. So, and the apostles are to pass on this apostolic faith and keep it from corruption and distortion. Without this protective grace, the bishops of the church would be no more than fallible human teachers, unequipped to fulfill the mission granted them by the Lord. Other passages suggest that Paul may envision the leaders of the church as the pillars and foundation stones of God's living temple. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? That music just comes too fast. Somehow we just have to slow time down. Maybe not. Maybe not. God is good. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Please share the app with all your friends and families. Get to your local stations to pick up our shows. Virgin Most Powerful Radio depends on you to get the word out there that we're there. We'll be right back with you.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. It's Mary Danielle and her guarding angel, and hopefully the Holy Spirit. And please, God, you know, it's not about my words and it's not about my teaching. This is where we want to know what Jesus taught us. We want to know what is that sacred deposit of faith that he left to his church, that the church is supposed to safeguard and pass on. And that's what we're talking about specifically today. The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Yes, in Second Timothy. Paul does say, 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, all scripture is profitable to build up the man of God. He doesn't say only scripture. He says all scripture. And by the way, when Paul writes all scripture, remember, every, every scriptural passage has first, its first meaning is its literal historical sense. And the only scripture they have at that point are the, the, is the Old Testament, the New Testament scriptures haven't been pronounced upon yet by the church. By the way, the Old Testament scriptures hadn't been pronounced upon either. But it was recognized that the Holy Spirit had inspired authors to write down the truths of salvation that that God had passed that God was revealing to his people. You know? God is God and we are not. And it's interesting. You know, we, we think, oh, well, you know, we just, God just leaves it to us to kind of muddle through and fuddle through and not give us any direction or guidance. Well, no, in the Old Testament, God chose a specific people to be peculiarly his own. And through that people, he meant for the Jews to bring him to the nations, not to, to go away from him and go to the gods of the nations, to the false gods, to worship the demons. They were supposed to bring the nations to him. And again, the church is supposed to do that. We're supposed to bring the nations to God. We're supposed to bring all peoples to God. And by the way, that mandate didn't stop at any time. And read uh, *Agentum*. I think, so *Agentum*. I think. It's a Second Vatican II Council document, very short. The Relationship of the Catholic Church to non-Christian religions, it's a short document, but it's very, very clear that we have a mandate from Christ to bring Christ to all the nations, to every people, to every religion. We're all supposed to be informed by the revelation of God to us. So we're talking about the church as the pillar and foundation of truth. And so Paul tells us that, Without the protective grace, the protective grace of the Holy Spirit, the bishops of the church would be no more than fallible human teachers unequipped to fulfill the mission granted to them by the Lord. Other passages suggest that Paul envisions the leaders of the church as the pillars and foundation stones of the living God's temple, of God's living temple, excuse me, of God's living temple. Um, And he, he quotes, they quote here, Galatians 2, 9 In Galatians 2, 9, we have Paul has gone up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and it says, And when they received, excuse me, when they perceived the grace that was given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So James, Cephas, and John, who are reputed to be the pillars, gave us the right hand of fellowship. And then you have in um, Ephesians 2.20, Paul writes, Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, but the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. So the apostles and the prophets become the foundation of the church of the and which of which Christ is the cornerstone. Okay, and then we have some paragraphs, beautiful paragraphs. And remember the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and we've talked about this before. Father Glenn Botten, who is a convert to the Catholic faith, said that even as a Protestant, he was using the Catechism of the Catholic Church to prepare his sermons. A Protestant minister, Episcopalian priest to prepare his sermons because it was such incredibly profound commentary on the scriptures. And in paragraph 171, it says, The church, the pillar and bulwark of truth, that's that quote from 1 Timothy 3.16, Faithfully, the church faithfully guards the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. She guards the memory of Christ's words. It is she who from generation to generation hands-on the apostles' confession of faith. As a mother who teaches her children to speak and so understand and communicate, the church, our mother, teaches us the language of faith in order to introduce us to the understanding and life of faith. And then in paragraph 171, No, that was 171. That was paragraph 171 of the catechism. In paragraph 768, it says, so that she can fulfill her mission, the Holy Spirit bestows upon the church varied, hierarchic, and charismatic gifts in the way, and in this way directs her. Henceforth, the church endowed with the gifts of her founder, and faithfully observing his precepts of charity Humility and self-denial receives the mission of proclaiming and establishing among all peoples the kingdom of Christ and of God. And she is on earth, the seed and the beginning of that kingdom. It's not that Christ preached the kingdom and we got the church as somebody sarcastically or um, how do you call that word? Um, um, oh, gosh. Some people say it with, well you know, Jesus preached the kingdom and we got to know the kingdom of God on earth is the church. They're one and the same. And the church is to faithfully pass on what Christ gave us. It's not, you know, it's not like she has to invent some new gospel. She doesn't have to invent new moral teachings. She needs to bring every generation, each new generation of human beings have to be brought into conformity with God's will, with God's law. It's not that we recreate God's law. We can't just say, as unfortunately, some unfortunate prelates in the the Catholic Church, apparently there's one who has actually said, oh, well, you know, the church has been wrong for 2,000 years on the sexual morality. Well, no, I'm sorry. With all due respect to your office, you're wrong. You know, even if all the bishops of the church were preaching against the gospel, we don't follow them. We don't go to another gospel. Remember, at the time of Arius, at the time of the Arian heresy, as much as 70% of the bishops of the Catholic Church had embraced the Arian heresy, the Arian heresy rejected the divinity of Christ. It also, by the way, rejected his humanity in terms of he was a third kind of creature. He wasn't really a man, but he wasn't God. He was created and he was somehow brought into Godhead, but not really God, but not really man, because he was a third kind of creature that God made special. No, that's not what the church had always taught. And yet 70%, over 70% of the bishops were deceived by that teaching. And you know, the church, the church had to bring us back. The moral life of the church, the church, paragraph 2032, the church, the pillar and bulwark of truth, has received this solemn command of Christ from the apostles to announce the saving truth. To the church belongs the right always and everywhere to announce moral principles, including those pertaining to the social order and to make judgments on any human affairs, to make judgments on any human affairs to the extent that they are required by the fundamental rights of the human person or the salvation of souls. It is the right and the duty of the church to speak to the world about what is true and good and beautiful. It's not for the church to listen to the world and then cave into the dictates of our disordered passions and desires. Any of us can fall into error, any of us. Paul wrote in one of his letters, pray for me that after having preached to others, I myself may not fall away. So we want to pray to God for the grace of final perseverance and beg him that we do not fall away. It's we could any of us could fall away at any moment. Okay. And this is that passage from John that I was referring to is in John 16, 13, where he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Okay. So the work of the spirit counteracts the work of Satan. And this is what we have to do as the church. This is what we have to do as Christians. We have to stand against the work of Satan. The Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the former, discloses the full meaning of the gospel. The latter spreads deception and falsehood throughout the world. The Holy Spirit gives us the gospel. Satan spreads deception and falsehood. Remember, he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. A liar and a murderer from the beginning. The point here is that the Spirit continues the teaching mission of Jesus to bear witness to the truth. Vatican II outlined the doctrine of magisterial infallibility, meaning that the Pope alone or the Pope and the bishops united with him are divinely protected from teaching error when they define matters pertaining to faith and morals. This is when they solemnly define, when they intend to solemnly define on behalf of the whole church. Now, the Pope can speak ex cathedra, and he can ex cathedra give a statement like the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption of Mary, the dogmas of the Immaculate Conception and the dogma of the the Assumption of Mary, but that's an extraordinary exercise of infallibility. By the way, a council is an extraordinary exercise of infallibility. It's safeguarded by the holy by the, the Holy Spirit. A synod is not. <laughs> um, so, we want to follow the Holy Spirit and know that the Holy Spirit hasn't left the church. Jesus Christ promised that He would be with His church until the end of the world. Okay. So the guidance of the Spirit is Christ's guarantee that the gospel will not be corrupted, distorted, or misunderstood by the ordained shepherds of the church during her earthly pilgrimage. That does not mean an individual, including a pope, can't be mistaken in their private theological opinions. Okay? That doesn't mean that the pope and the bishops are without sin, They're not impeccable. They're sinners. They have to go to confession on a frequent and regular basis, just like the rest of us. And it doesn't mean that in their private opinions, that all of their private opinions as a private theologian or even their private opinions about worldly affairs, economics or politics or global warming or science or, no, they're not infallible in those matters. Even in their private opinions as theologians, they're not infallible it's only when they speak on behalf of the entire church and they intend to teach as shepherds of the church, Okay, that God gives them this charism of infallibility And, and the bishops are infallible when they are in union with the Holy Father who intends to teach on behalf of the whole church and intends to faithfully safeguard and pass on the sacred deposit of faith. And yes, there is a sacred deposit of faith that Jesus left to his church. The church is the pillar and bulwark of truth. Don't go away. Please ask everybody to join us today on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And we're looking at 1 Timothy 3 verses 14 through 16. And it it talks about the mystery of our religion. And of course, part of the mystery of our religion is the foundation of the church. The church is the pillar and bulwark of truth. But then there's also what The, the, the reality that God became man. I mean, how often do we stop? We should say the Angelus three times a day. The church encourages us to pray the Angelus three times. Don't just say it. Pray it. Think about it. Think about this reality. God himself became man. God, our God became man. This is what is distinctively different in Christianity than any other religion, right? And why? Because he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed in the world, taken up in glory. And so we have what? We have the incarnation of God. Um, and, and God became, you know, this is belief in the incarnation of the Son of God is the distinctive distinctive sign of Christian faith. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit which confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Such is the joyous conviction of the church from her beginning, Whenever she sings the mystery of our religion, he was manifested in the flesh. He was manifested in the flesh. And that was saying, you know, that's here. Paul is quoting this Christian hymn in in Timothy. And then we have in paragraph um, 2641, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Like the inspired writers of the New Testament, the first Christian communities read the book of Psalms, prayed the book of Psalms, sang the book of Psalms, I might add, in a new way, but in a new way, singing in in it the mystery of Christ, recognizing that the Psalms were foretelling the coming of Christ. In the newness of the Spirit, they all So composed hymns and canticles in the light of the unheard of event that God accomplished in his son, his only begotten son, the second person of the blessed Trinity, the word of God. God is a trinity of persons. He's not a solitude unto himself. His incarnation, the son of God's incarnation, his death, which conquered death, his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the father. Doxology, the praise of God, arises from this marvelous work of the whole economy of salvation, and that's in the section of the Catechism on prayer. Twenty-six forty-one is the number of the. Um, if you you can find it in twenty-six forty-one, it's not really a paragraph the way they do it. It's a it's a insert. But anyway, every little insert in the Catechism has its own number but the paragraphs are differently numbered. So it's all, it's all interesting. But the reality is, is that God himself came, became man. He, and he became man because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. You see, man's offense against God was infinite. Any offense against God is infinite because God is infinitely good. And any, any offense against him is infinitely offensive. But a mortal sin kills the life of God in our soul. And Adam and Eve had commit a mortal sin, which means that it was a free human act. They weren't acting out of compulsion or fear. They were freely choosing. And the Catechism says they freely chose to let their trust in God die in their heart. What trust? That God would defend them. From anything that might harm them because God had promised them that they would live as long as they kept his commandments and didn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So as long as they didn't eat from that tree, they wouldn't die. So then God had promised them that he would protect them. And what happened when they, instead of calling on God, when the serpent starts talking to Eve, Adam and Eve are there together, instead of calling on God, Adam lets Eve carry on this dialogue with the serpent. And as he speaks, they let their trust in God die in their heart. They let their trust. God isn't going to defend us. He's not going to protect us. As a matter of fact, God's keeping something from us. And we're going to find out what it is. How sad. They already knew goodness. They already knew God. They already were in... Mystical communion with God through grace. They could speak to God freely. And they let their trust die. And by doing so, they commit a moral sin and cast the life of God out of their soul. It was a free human act. They freely chose to do what they did. No human person can pay to God the price for their soul as a matter of fact, I think that was in today's reading. Um, it's just that's today's reading is also from Timothy. And it's just um oh darn it. I, I don't see it right here, but I wanna I do want to talk about this too. Today's reading is from Timothy because we have to go on in that letter to Timothy. How are we supposed to behave? What are we, how are we supposed to act? And, and I've skipped the part where he talks about bishops and, and what are the qualifications for bishops. Maybe we'll get back to it. But in 1 Timothy 6, 2C through 12, teach and urge these things. Whoever teaches something different and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the religious teaching is conceited understanding nothing, and has a morbid disposition for arguments and verbal disputes. From these come envy, rivalry, insults, evil suspicions, and mutual fractions among people with corrupted minds who are deprived of the truth, supposing religion to be a means of gain. Indeed, religion with contentment is great gain. We gain eternal life. For we brought nothing into this world, just as we shall not be able to take anything out of this world. If we have food or clothing, we shall be content with that. Those who want to be rich are falling into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. And some people in their desire for it have strayed from the truth and have pierced themselves with many pains. But you, men of God, avoid all this. Instead, pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you are called when you made your noble confession in the presence of many witnesses. We were called to eternal life. And we're supposed to hold fast. So what is Paul telling us? Well, he's telling Timothy here 1 Timothy 6, you know, he's warning against it. You know, he goes he goes into the, the false um, asceticism. He, he has the good ministers of Jesus Christ. He has the duties toward our brethren. And let all who are under the yoke of slavery regard their master as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be defamed. We're supposed to turn to God and live like God as his very dear children, all right? He says, the sins of some men are are concupiscence, pointing to judgment. I'm sorry, are conspicuous. I said that wrong. That's verse 24 in chapter 5. The sins of some men are conspicuous, pointing to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So all good deeds are conspicuous, and even when they are not, they cannot remain hidden. So Yes, do your good, but don't worry about it being manifest. That's not what it's about. That all who are under the yoke of slavery regard the master as worthy of all honor and so that the name of God may be God and the teaching may not be defamed. And then he says, those who, be- who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brethren. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their service, are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these duties. If any one teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching which accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. He knows nothing. He has a morbid craving for controversy and for disputes about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, base suspicions and wrangling among men who are deprived in the mind, depraved, depraved in the mind, and bereft of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. If we are in religion to seek gain, if we are starting a church to get rich, we're not following Jesus Christ. The love of money is the root of all evil, Paul goes on to say we need to live as god as his very dear children okay and in one of one of his letters he says that no man can pay the price to god for his soul that's not something that's within our capacity how is that no man can pay the price to god for his soul and that might have been yesterday um from the letter to the Ephesians, where he says, Brothers and sisters, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you received with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another through love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, one body and one spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But the grace was given to each according to the measure of the gifts. And he gave some as apostles or prophets, and others evangelists, others as pastors and teachers, to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That, by the way, is from Ephesians. And the music is coming back, so... We'll be back with more
0: commentary. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call triple eight five two six twenty one fifty one. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: This hour just goes too fast. Thank you, God, that we can study Your Holy Word. I want you to make sure that you share this that the Bible with the Barbers and all of our shows um, with, you know, share those, share those with all of your friends. Um, you know, if you're having trouble with the app, I know some people write in, I answer the questions and some people write in and ask, you know, what's going on with the app? Or like somebody asked me, what happened to night moves? I don't know what happened to night moves. As far as I know, it's still on. It's, it's the the Knights of Columbus, night moves, K-N-I-G-H-T. Um, so, call into the office, the 877-526-2151, and ask them what to do if your app is not working right, or let them know that the app is not working right. If there's something on our end we can fix, we'll fix it. Um, thank you to all of our benefactors. I want to thank all the radio stations that pick up our signal. I know stations of the cross picks up our signal. Um, apparently, Bible with the Barbers is on a station in um, in Arizona, so I thank you for picking that this, this show up and letting other people... We want to read God's holy word. We want to be formed how are we to be formed we're to be formed by the word of god and how can we be formed by the word of god if we don't read the word of god we need to read his holy word we need to allow it to inform us and to form us and you know paul you know he gives a lot of warning here in the, in the letter of timothy he talks about what a good bishop should do and and he talks about the fact that um now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. Well, what are the doctrines of the demons? (laughs) Through the pretentiousness of liars whose consciousness are seared. And he goes on, there's a couple of things he mentions, who forbid marriage and enjoin abstinence from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. So, and this has gone on, you know, you have, you have heresies all through the history of the church. You have these errors coming up at different times. So, um, and, 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 you know, in the old Testament, there were the, the Jews were forbidden to eat certain foods. And remember, Peter has that vision in Acts where the Lord brings down this sheet and he has to do it three times. He brings down this sheet and he tells Peter to up Peter, slaughter and eat. And these are all unclean animals. He said, no, Lord, I never, I would never, these are all unclean, I don't. And and God says to him, what I have made clean, don't call unclean. Everything that God made is good. And there were things in the Old Testament that were provisional, okay? The law of animal sacrifice was provisional. The temple in Jerusalem was provisional. The circumcision was provisional. The dietary laws were provisional. All the ablutions and the washing of hands and, and dishes and cups and you know, were provisional. So it's not that it was you know that God is rejecting what He did in the Old Testament. No, He was preparing His people for the New Covenant. And there has to be a certain detachment from the things of this earth, not because the things that God made are evil, but because we can use them for bad. We can we can mistake the good things that God made for God. You know, it's interesting that God exists is not an article of faith. And in Romans, Paul talks about that. He talks about the fact that they could have known him. They could have known him from the good things that he made. But because of their sins, basically, they didn't come to know him. And they they didn't want to. Okay. So we can know God without the gift of faith. That God exists is not an article of faith. Now that God is a trinity of persons, that the Son of God became man, that Jesus Christ is really present in the universe, we need faith to know those things. Faith is a gift if you want it, ask for it. And ask for a faith that's lively and animated by charity, a lively faith animated by charity, and infused with hope. Our hope is not in the things of this world. We are not looking for a lasting paradise in this earth. Okay, so the gospel that Jesus Christ preached is that I have come to establish my kingdom on earth. But as he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth. If my kingdom were of this world, my subjects would be fighting to have me released. My kingdom is not here. Our kingdom is in heaven. So we're looking up ahead. We're looking to God and to eternal life in heaven. So we give up the things. We, we sacrifice the things of this earth in order to embrace the things of heaven. You know, the saints didn't practice mortification and discipline their flesh because the flesh is evil and bad and no good. And oh my gosh, it's horrible. And, and everything, that God, everything that's on this earth is terrible and filled with sin. No, remember that was the Manichaean heresy that what Paul says about people will forbid marriage. Well, that was the Manichees, by the way, and St. Augustine was part of that for a while. But he couldn't explain, you know, when he was a Manichee, you say, okay, so you've got you've got this good god and you got this evil god and they're at war with each other and, you know, so whatever, we're just kind of pawns in this game. And and um, you know, Star Wars, the light side and the dark side of the force. No, that's heresy. That's heresy. Jesus Christ is not the source source of the force. He can't be Because in Star Wars, the force has a light side and a dark side at war with each other. And they're equal. No, there's no evil in God. Jesus Christ is not the source of the force. Jesus Christ is the antidote for the force. (laughs) He is the one who saves us from sin and death. And this is the gospel. But in order to, to have that gospel we have to give up our sins the first thing he said was repent and believe the good news give up your sins turn to god and be saved save yourself from this generation okay and and the same is true in our generation and all the false errors that are going around now that we don't have to keep the 10 commandments anymore and oh they were wrong and oh yeah you know as unfortunately some some priest has taught he's he said um oh i know that the that the um that the the, the Bible forbids homosexual activity, but it's wrong. Well, excuse me, Father. No, the Bible's not wrong. You have been deceived by the enemy and repent now, repent now before it's too late. All of us repent now before it's too late. Give up our sins, believe in Jesus Christ and live the hard life. It's an arduous task to get to heaven. We have to overcome our own flesh. Jesus isn't gonna do that for us. Paul said, I make up what is lacking in in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. In my own flesh, I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Well, what's lacking? Our response. Each one of us has to decide whether we're going to follow Christ or not. We need graces to do that. We have to beg God for the grace, beg God for the grace to respond to his word and to be faithful and not to try and Bend, fold, and mutilate. I remember one time in a cartoon it said, yeah, there, there are 11, 11 commandments and, and and somebody's going, what? Wait a minute, there are 10 commandments. No, didn't you ever learn the 11th? Do not bend, fold, or mutilate the, fo- the previous 10. <laughs> oh, don't bend, fold, or mutilate the previous 10. The 10 commandments that God gave. Don't try and distort them and make them fit to your whims. That God exists is not an article of faith I mentioned. Socrates in, what was it, 3, 385 BC, or he lived before Christ. Socrates came to the knowledge that there is one God. Through the use of the light of his reason, he understood that there is one God and that God is transcendent. And that if we want to know God, we have to live a disciplined, virtuous life. Read The Last Days of Socrates by Xenophon. I wouldn't, you can read Plato if you can read Plato. There's the last days of Socrates by Plato. I couldn't understand it. It wasn't until I read Xenophon that I understood what was going on at the trial. The last days of Socrates were his trial. And and so, okay. So that's why I recommend Xenophon. But the point is this, Socrates told the people of Athens, you are condemning me to death because you say I am impious. And you call me impious because I say that God is one. He is transcendent. He is other. And if we want to know him, we have to live a disciplined, mortified, virtuous life. Even the Greeks understood virtue. They knew that homosexual activity wasn't virtuous. They knew that adultery wasn't virtuous. They knew that murder wasn't virtuous. I mean, who says we can't legislate morals? That's what we legislate. You know, you can't kill people. You can't steal. You can't you break into people's homes. You can't beat people up. What are our laws? But the legislation of morals. And now we live in a world where people want to legalize murder. And now it's not just, you know, first it was the murder of the innocent and the unborn who couldn't defend themselves. And now it's the demo that certain political parties and certain political people are promoting chaos in the streets, go out and riot, go out and be, this is horrible. This is disorder. This is from Satan. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. So that God exists is not an article of faith. We can know that through the light of our reason, unaided, but that who he is in and of himself. Yeah. We need faith for that. Faith is a gift. Ask for it. God, please give me that lively faith animated by charity to which it is given to conquer the world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that I will not give in to the demands of my own flesh. Remember, we have concupiscence. We can sin. We don't need the devil's help to sin. By the way, the devil didn't make us do it. That's why we go to confession, because it's my fault. Through my fault, through my fault, through my very own fault, not somebody else's. I sin through my fault, through my fault, through my very own fault. Each one of us has to take responsibility for our actions. We're supposed to behave like God as his very dear children. That hasn't changed. And no matter what, we have to pray for the church right now because the church is going through a trial, a purification. The church is going through a dark night because many of the leaders in the church prominent and the ones who are being listened to the most most oftentimes are not speaking the truth. They're not speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're preaching an anti-gospel. And some of them are actually saying... um, Things like, well, you know, the Bible's been wrong all this time, and the church has been wrong in promoting the Ten Commandments all this time, and, and um, uh, we have to start a new church, and we have to start a different church, and uh, doctrine can change. No, doctrine can't change. Doctrine can develop. We can come to a deeper, fuller understanding, but that deeper, fuller understanding can never contradict what was in the past. We are connected to the past, so let's read our scriptures every day. Let's be rooted and grounded in Christ. Let's be faithful to his teachings. Get your catechism of the Catholic Church. Study it. Read the footnotes of the church, the, the councils of the church, and the footnotes in the councils, by the way, ad gentes, read it. That's one of the one of the documents that people misquote and try to prove that Vatican II was teaching error. Read it. And read the read the footnotes, please. So thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for promoting Virgin Most Powerful Radio everywhere you go, because I know you all do. Thank you for sharing the app with all your friends and family and church members and whoever, your neighbors, your enemies, whatever. You know, we all want to get to heaven. We all want to be in heaven. We shouldn't have any enemies. There may be people who don't like us, but we should love everyone and desire the salvation of all men, just like God does. So thank you for joining us. I hope you will join us again. Please, God. I'll be back next week with more on Bible with the Barber. Um, and thank you for supporting us with your prayers, your sacrifices, your sufferings, and those who support us financially. We do need your financial support. And I know it's hard times, and I know our country's in darkness and financial collapse. But you know what? Trust in God and let all of us pay cash. <laughs> thank you. God bless you.